What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. All right, empty shotgun. Brissett in the gun by himself. Three to the left, two to the right. From the 12, back to pass. Here's Brissett looking, firing, end zone. Oh, what a catch by Njoku! Touchdown! What a catch by the Chief! A touchdown! He put it up where only the Chief could get it, and he went up with one hand, only his left hand with the defender draped on him, and stared it in. What a catch by the Chief when you needed it the most. Oh, my goodness, Jim. What a play. On fourth down with 32 seconds left to go, they're a Cade-York kick away from tying the game at 17. What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we are here to talk about, I guess it's an unexpected Victory Monday, and this is an episode that is powered by FanDuel, leading sponsor of the OBR Film Breakdown. Your Browns beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 23-17, and the result that, listen, it was unexpected. I I didn't think it was going to be a Browns win. I was pretty vocal about that in the OBR pregame show, if you paid attention to it. But I also didn't think it would be a blowout. I thought this game would be close. And really, throughout the game, that's what it was. A Tampa Bay lead. The more talented team, Tampa Bay, deeper team, led throughout most of the game. They just let the Browns hang around for too long. And the Browns found a way to make a couple plays. I wrote up about the couple plays that swung the offense from a group that was struggling for large portions of this to a team that in the last few minutes tied it up. And then in overtime makes the crucial drive to win the game. Overall, I didn't feel like the Browns did a ton of great things on offense. A really frustrating day overall. But they took care of business when it mattered most. And you really have to give the Browns defense a ton of respect. Because this was the type of performance that we've been expecting from them all year. Like I've said this before, you know, this is the the type of game that, that it would have felt like was the norm for this year. right? Where the offense... Can't quite figure it out over four quarters, but the defense keeps them in the game, continues to give them opportunities, and they just do enough to win. I thought that was a path to a six and five, five and six type of record. It's been the, you know, there's been pretty much a different outcome for most of this uh, start of the season, and that's why so many people are unoptimistic about, you know, the return of Deshaun Watson and what that could actually mean for this team because the defense has stunk so bad. I think you got to start. When you look at the overall stats for this game, we'll go through these. You got to talk about the start Tampa had and the way Cleveland's defense played the rest of the way. So, 
You get the 23-17 final. The first downs in this one, Cleveland ends up with six more first downs than Tampa, 22-16. I talked about it in the OBR's pregame show. Specifically, an important thing was that Tampa doesn't make a ton of mistakes. They really don't turn the football over. And Cleveland hasn't been taking it away from people uh, really much at all this year. But Tampa has struggled, and why they have not scored more than 23 points one time this season is because they have not converted enough third downs. Now, they were better at it recently, but today, this is where the Browns made their money on defense. They held Tampa to 4 for 15 on third down. Cleveland wasn't any better, 5 for 17, but the 4 for 15 mark got the Buccaneers off the field, and you had Todd Bowles, their head coach, playing a pretty uh, pretty um, conservative approach in this one, and then I thought it was pretty conservative from the offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich at the same time. That yielded nine punts for Tampa Bay, by far the most Cleveland has caused in any single game this year. And Tampa also went for a fourth down, so it's not like every single fourth down was automatic, although a couple times I thought Tampa deciding to not go for it, giving the Browns more life, uh, especially there was a moment late in the game where the Browns only had three defensive linemen on the field, and then there was another time a little earlier in the game where they, they could have taken advantage of a, a light Cleveland box, and one time they did. They took a, took advantage of coming out of a timeout, and Cleveland was ill-prepared somehow to defend the quarterback sneak, which is what Tom Brady's known for. The Browns didn't have both A-gaps plugged, and it was an easy first down, but I think it's important to understand that the way they won this game was getting off the field on third down pretty consistently, and really third and shorts getting off the field and, and giving the you know giving themselves a fighting chance early on when it felt like Tampa might have a, have a, uh, the opportunity either early on or late third quarter into the early fourth quarter to make it a two-score game. There was one turnover by the Browns that was a Hail Mary throw right before half, but otherwise a clean game overall on both sides of the football taking care of it. The Browns end up running nine more plays, 75-66. to 66. They end up going for 367 to Tampa Bay's 325. You know my formula. That's a beautiful part of it. Both teams 4.9 a, a, uh, a touch uh, per play. But the Browns run for 100 yards more, 189 to 96. Now, it's not that Cleveland ran the ball that well. Nick Chubb ran 26 times for 116, which isn't bad by any stretch, 4.5 per carry. But you get Schwartz with his 31-yard reverse. And again, Anthony Schwartz getting involved in this offense, both his 31-yard opening drive touchdown, a um, motion swing pass in the third quarter, I believe, and then in the second quarter, third quarter area, he also was involved as a primary target on a rollout sprintout concept. He ends up with 17 receiving yards. It's just nice to see him have a role, a real step in the right direction for a guy who's been pretty beat down this year in terms of having any NFL value, any consistent uh, contribution to this team. So having Schwartz handle a reverse and, and take that one in was really cool to see. So we'll talk about him him a little bit more throughout the week. Uh, but like I said, you know they didn't get much from Hunt. Five carries, 15 yards, but you get 27 and 31 from Schwartz and Brissett, and that's how you go for 189. Brissett was pretty frustrated in this game, 23 of 37. He only gets up to 210 with a touchdown and an interception. And I thought Tampa did as well as anybody has done, taking away a lot of the horizontal stretch concepts that Kevin Stefanski likes. Like Tampa's click and close on a lot of those underneath curls that worked off of a, a, either a flat route underneath it with a corner route or post or dig behind it they drove on it so fast so like I thought you know for the most part is the Browns struggled throughout this day and again it's tough to look back and see 367 and call it a bunch of struggle but there really was it was because Tampa's defense is really good they have now they went through some a barrage of injuries in the in the in the second level 
um, you know, that group with like even more the third level with both safeties were down, corners were down throughout the game. Winfield dealt with a concussion check, like they were beat up and all of that, and it was really weird. And up front, obviously, you know, Vita Vey is playing on a on a hurt foot, so that he probably isn't at f- full strength either. But for the most part, the Browns being able to find a way to twenty three points against a really good defense, a well coached defense, and a a group, in my opinion, that is the perfect level of discipline to give them fits. I think it's very commendable. It's very commendable because they're good. They're really good. So I'm not going to lose a bunch of sleep over it. I mean, they they only end up throwing Cleveland as a team netting 178 passing yards, largely because the sack numbers were were pretty high in this one. Uh, Tampa ends up getting, if I'm if I'm looking at it correct, I think I haven't charted it four sacks. You know, there's a difference between the NFL's calculations sometimes and PFF could be four and a half or five, but they were moving the line of scrimmage any down and distance that was predictable pass their pass rush was moving the Browns offensive line into Brissett's lap and making that extremely difficult for him and that's why I was very low optimism on Cleveland figuring something out uh, especially on offense because they're putting themselves in a lot of long third down situations and thus putting themselves in those situations and the way the pass rush was giving the Browns fits the speed at which they were closing from the second level both Devin White you know and obviously the decipherability of Levante David, it's hard to throw on those guys. Winfield plays fast, Edwards plays fast in that back half, and they have so many experienced DBs who click and close so well and can play the sideline, Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis. It's a talented group, Sean Murphy Bunting. It is a, I see them truly as a Super Bowl contending defense right now. Their offense on the flip side is the problem. So, like I said, Brissett goes 210, didn't have a turnover, but I, I don't really, he listed with a turnover, but I don't, technically count that one uh, to be a turnover not a ton of space for the receivers again very tight coverage even the zone stuff was very forward facing and really put the Browns in a bind for a lot of things they like to do Amari Cooper one really tough fourth down drop that was so uncharacteristic there early fourth quarter but he ends up rallying with a great catch to close the game to keep that early drive alive to create space they ended up punting but creating that space pinned Tampa back and then Tampa punts to give the ball back to Cleveland with two minutes left they ultimately end up getting the ball in Tampa territory and making that final drive to tie the 17 Cooper just made some clutch plays toward the end I wrote up his rail route double move uh, there in the key moment on that third and four and the minute left in overtime just just spectacular stuff he goes seven for 94 David Njoku goes five for 29 and one of the single best catches you will see this year, and perhaps you can make an argument for one of the best catches considering pressure, moment, and ball location, all of it, and coverage around him. That one-handed catch is spectacular, and really a true sign of where David's growth has happened the most. Uh, it is, um, it's a remarkable, remarkable catch from him. It, it deserves every ounce of credit and it was the key focal point of post-game interviews and all of it in the NFL highlights and I'm sure there'll be some stuff on it this week with some mic'd up scenarios for the NFL's production stuff it is just fantastic catch five for 29 a touchdown David Bell six targets that's the most he's received in a single game four for 23 Schwartz catches one of his two targets for 17 Donovan Peoples-Jones two catches on four targets for 16 so he was involved but didn't make much of a difference and the Bucks did a great job commendable job of taking away as well as anybody I've seen this year taking away the back shoulder deep throw that Browns love to to do that back shoulder ball to both Cooper and 
Peoples Jones, they took that away. Nick Chubb had one catch, 16 yards. Harrison Bryant, two for nine. Caught a nice drag there, and Antoine Winfield blew it up. Uh, but a great catch in embracing the contact. And then Kareem Hunt had one catch for six yards. On the other side, Tampa, um, like I said, rushed for 96 and threw for 229 net yardage. But what's amazing is Tampa comes out and runs uh, five times for 56 yards in the opening drive. Singular opening drive. And then Cleveland shuts it down. Does a fantastic job the rest of the way. Only gives up 40 net rushing yards the rest of the way. Rashad White had 14 carries, 64 yards. Keyshawn Vaughn had four for 15. Julio Jones had a reverse for 15. Tom Brady had won that one quarterback sneak for two yards. Brady goes 29 of 43, 246, two touchdowns. Chris Godwin was the guy getting a ton of targets. 12 catches on 13 targets for 110 a touchdown. And, and of course, when you're down in the slot the way the Browns are between not only Greg Newsom being out, but you lost A.J. Green early on in this game. End up playing Thomas Graham a ton in there, a guy that's been elevated off the practice squad and signed midseason. It's going to be a spot they pick on, right? White had nine catches for 45, Julio three for 40. Mike Evans, two catches on 31, two catches for 31 yards on nine targets. Now, I thought Martin Emerson did a pretty good job on him, all things considered. I think some Brady-Evans miscommunication, connection, not not accurate throws, or like there was one there late first half. I thought Evans actually got the feed in on the fade ball, but they kept throwing it. To my surprise, they just kept throwing it. And the, I think Emerson was as respectable as you could be against an all-pro like Evans. I mean, like Mike Evans is on the Hall of Fame track, and Emerson wasn't perfect. He gave up some plays, gave up a pass interference, Definitely would have given up a couple chunk throws, but the, the connection was off. But that's as commendable as you could you could do on Mike Evans. I mean, locked on an island very often. Cameron Brait, the tight end, was a non-factor. Two catches on five targets, 15 yards. Uh, Cleft had a uh, touchdown. Kieft, I'm not sure what how you pronounce his name. This fullback had a catch for five yards. He had he had the uh, Brady second touchdown in this one, but was you know not much of a factor. The only other guy to receive a target, old friend Brashad Perriman, zero catches. Um, for him on a, on a singular target. Penalties in this one, Tampa Bay had nine for 70 yards. Cleveland only five for 42. So they are uh, the more disciplined team in this one. Touchdowns, three for Cleveland, two for Tampa. One field goal for each team, although Cleveland really could have used that field goal that they, they, they you know, had the miss on from Cade York. And I, here, I'm, I'm kind of going to make a stance on this. I'll talk about it later in the week, but I think Cade York's very talented. I just question the consistency of how he strikes the football. That, to me, is concerning. Shanks pulling it like crazy, leaving it wide open, missing a kick. Like I, I, You're going to miss kicks as a rookie, especially in Cleveland Browns Stadium where things are swirling and it's different. The weather's weird. But but the, the, the three-blocked, low-trajectory kicks, some of which coming from short yardage, that's not acceptable. And then obviously the shank stuff where he's pulled way left, he's pushed way right. I just you can miss some, but the the consistency of how he strikes the football is a problem. Like the, you cannot just have complete misses like that. That is um that is the thing I'm most concerned about with Cade York. I'm all about patience. I'll continue to be patient with him, but I'm very concerned about it. And I think I think everybody should be because that's you need that guy to be at least putting it in the ballpark of making some of these kicks. And he did have a 51 yarder, right? Which is, which is great, but he has to make more of those. He made all of his PATs, So there are things he did well, but he cannot miss short kicks, especially the 30 to 40 yard range variety that that has to be an automatic, 
automatic kick. I can understand late 40s uh, into the 50s and above. Those those are more coin flip-ish, but this is um what we've seen is just not it's not acceptable. So, um time of possession. You know, I talk about the formula all the time before we take our first break. Browns 39 minutes, Tampa 30 minutes. So, all the things they need, right? Outside of turnovers, but I thought the turnovers were a net neutral. 10 more plays, 70 uh, 50 more yards. Nine more minutes of possession. Give yourself a heck of a chance to win if you make enough winning plays. And they did make just enough. We're going to take our lone break of the episode, and we will be right back. Hey, guys. Telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now, again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR. Very simple. Just OBR. Get that sign-up bonus, right? Get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app, safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. You'll be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org. All right, so on the defensive side for both teams, Devin White, 13 total tackles, Levante David, eight, two very talented linebackers, Keanu Neal with eight, Anton Winfield, seven, Edwards with six, Nelson, five, Nunez Roches, four, Carlton Davis, four, a half a sack for David, half a sack for Neal, a full sack for Nelson. Rochez, Nunez Rochez, I hope I'm saying his name right. Carl Nassib, former Cleveland Brown. He was very vocal, like very, <laughs> I like Carl Nassib, but it's clear how much he does not like Cleveland. And I thought some of his antics were a little bit funny at times. Half a sack for him, half a sack for Logan Hall, draft crush of mine, who I think is a nice player. Those are your sack numbers. Um, Edwards had the interception on the Hail Mary. 
On the Brown side, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, eight tackles. Denzel Ward, six. Six for Thomas Graham, who was heavily involved. John Johnson, six. Sonu Takitaki, six. Five for Delpit, four for Emerson, four for Fields, who found a, a role here in base a little bit. Clowney was four as well. Miles Garrett, one and a half sacks. Really fun to watch Miles Garrett when he actually gets an extended stretch of time where he knows the other team is going to pass a little bit. That's when he tees off so well. right? Not the random... This drive and the Browns played such commendable defense, and I, and I get again have to give as much flack as we give them is when we should on the flip side when they do this stuff right well, you know right and well, they deserve credit for what they did and they deserve credit for putting together a way and I have to break it down before I spill to you how they did it, but to adjust and hold that group in Tampa Bay to 40 yards the rest of the way after giving up chunk plays in that first drive, looking like the same old run defense we've seen all year, for them to figure that out, shift uh, shift the angle here and change how that all turned out, I mean, it's very commendable. And they put pressure on Brady in certain situations, not a ton, but enough pressure, right? And Miles, when he gets those opportunities late in the game, he gets a sack, and then in overtime he gets another sack. Those are big plays in big moments. Right, that's what they need him to do, and giving him extended snaps where he can do that is all the is altogether so important. Jordan Elliott also got a coverage sack earlier in the game to round out um, the sack numbers for this one. So really, only three collectively, but Miles' sacks were uh, very important, very important. But the run game stuff, where it felt like guys were, it felt like the Browns make a little bit of an alteration where they said we're going to stop crashing our edge guys inside to support interior run, and we're going to have you guys be redirect. And turn, and turn fit guys in terms of anything on the perimeter. They just did such a nice job being in the, those locations, and they actually got downhill to defend the run from the second level and make plays near the line of scrimmage. Extremely encouraging stuff. This is the type of defense that we expected this group to play this year. Certainly flawed, but good enough to keep them in games and give them a chance. And again, I'll go over what the schematic stuff was that maybe altered some of this stuff and took the run away and created some chaos because Brady was confused and double pumping a couple times. Like they had him a little bit shaky in the pocket, so they deserve credit. They really do. I'm not sitting here changing my tune on Joe Woods and what I think the ultimate best future is for this defense, but I do think they deserve credit when the when the credit is there. And in this one, they they certainly deserve it. So, you know, what I think <laughs> the thing that I think changed everything right so if you look at the second half it gets uh it gets particularly interesting to me the Tampa Bay made some key choices and again we'll go over these in the comprehensive breakdown but they made some very key choices to not go after some first downs that left you sort of scratching your head the 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 spot at which they decided to punt was extremely interesting to me because if you go through the play-by-play and look at the entire second half there were multiple times where I thought, okay, if they go for this, this could be a dangerous situation for Cleveland. Because if it got to two scores, it felt to me like this is going to be dicey, right? It's going to be dicey. Cleveland did a great job. Here's what was frustrating, though. In the first half, the Browns burned two timeouts. They burned two unnecessary timeouts, the first of which was for no reason. The play that they had gotten off, they called a timeout because I don't know if the clock was running down or what. And then another one, they took a um, a review, which I didn't hate the review because I thought that spot on that third down catch from David Njoku wasn't very good. But again, you're risking it two timeouts on offense. And then right before half, you get a great return by Jerome Ford out to the 44-yard line of Tampa. Uh, sorry, to your 44-yard line. But you don't have enough timeouts to make a real run at getting into field goal range. You only have one timeout. 
Tampa does, like I said, a great job of taking away a lot of your quick zone beaters or some of your push down the field type of stuff you're comfortable doing. And that was just, man, it just limited the playbook at that moment, and I hate it. I'm a big believer in timeouts are for your defense to get your offense back to football, not to burn unnecessarily on offense. I've never been a believer in that. Offense should be a cohesive unit that takes care of it without using those timeouts. But that was a wasted drive, right? They got it out to the 44, uh, and then then were unable. They go essentially four and out because they throw that Hail Mary before half and don't pick up a first down. They do a great job coming out of halftime, right? Get a sack from Jordan Elliott, make a third and 18, get a punt after that fourth down and 10, get it back. They get a good return off that out to their 42. So again, really great field position, two drives in a row, unable to yield anything, right? Straight three and out, punt it away. Tampa gets it back. They end up going down the field, uh, running into a third and one, getting a touchdown. So that makes it 17-10. The Browns next time out, they actually pick up a couple first downs, get it out to their 43, and then out to their 48 for a third and three, and they're unable to complete it. And I was pretty surprised out near midfield they didn't go for it. But again, another drive stalls out right at midfield. They end up punting. Get it back, right? Three and out from Tampa Bay. Get it back. Tampa ends up going third and eight, can only get two yards. They punt it back. So this is now the third, fourth possession. Cleveland gets it in good field position. They get it out at their 38 on the first play. Again, anything plus 35 is amazing starting field position. I think why everybody was so frustrated was 17-10 late in the third. Get it at their 38 this time. They go sack. Uh, they go sack to second and 18. A pass is, in, is complete for four. It's third and 14. You get, a, you get a false start, or sorry, an encroachment, so you get it to third and nine. They can't complete it, take another sack. It's fourth and seven. So that was four straight possessions where they're pushing out toward midfield and getting nothing out of it. So you're not very optimistic going into the fourth quarter. Here's, again, where things got interesting. Tampa goes on a nice drive. They, they complete a third and nine, get a first down, get to third and 11, gain eight yards. I'm sorry, nine yards to fourth and two. They're at the Cleveland 37. The Cleveland 37 on 4th and 2. The Browns are out there coming off of the 3rd and 11. Tampa's uh, no-huddle stuff is some of the most effective offense in the NFL. They're actually the best, highest EPA no-huddle team in the NFL. And they put Cleveland in dime on 3rd and 11. They come up to the 4th the down play to just, in my opinion, all they had to do was run a sneak with Brady, who's so gifted at it. They don't do it. Even though the Browns only have two, three down linemen, for some reason, they take a delay of game penalty and punt. I, I thought that they had a chance to really put that game away right there, decided not to do it. Not that the Browns did anything with it. They got it at their 20 off of a touchback. They did get it out to the Tampa Bay 45 on first down, but again, left you frustrated as the clock ticked under 10 minutes. They got it to second and eight, another sack, right? They got a second and eight at the Tampa 43, a sack, and then another third down short throw to fourth and nine. They ended up going for that fourth and nine at the 826 mark, and that was the crushing, back-breaking. It felt like the game might be over at that moment because they were giving the ball back to Tampa with great field position off of an Amari Cooper drop. So rare. Even Kevin Stefanski said after the game, we just we couldn't believe it. He doesn't drop many, but they, he, he rebounded, and he did rebound and deserves credit for it. So this is where the Browns' defense, and they, they buckled up, man. This was fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. So Tampa gets it back at the 45-yard line. They're 45. They go to third and three. An incomplete pass to Mike Evans on third and three. Again, I thought Tampa could have been aggressive again at the Cleveland 48 on the plus side of the 50. 
They decide to punt once again. They do a good job of downing this one. So Cleveland's running out of possessions. You can feel it. Truly running out of possessions. They get a first down off a third and ten. Good throw to Amari Cooper from their own five-yard line, backed up deep. This is the drive I was talking about earlier. Good first down there. They get it out to their 17, uh, 17-yard line off third and ten. They get to third and seven again. They throw to Njoku on a tight end screen, so they get the ball out to their 28. They get a couple, uh, a five-yard penalty on illegal contact out to the 33. Again, you're down looking at like 350 left at this point. They get it to third and 11, and Brissett is sacked for the fifth time at that point. It felt like things were getting dicey, right? Fourth and 20, you punt it away. But what happens when they punted it away was a huge deal. A fair catch from Jalen Darden. They also got a penalty uh, that pushed um, Tampa deeper into their own territory, back to their own 20 off of a, uh, a penalty for a block in the back. So that was huge, right? Tampa gets it at their own 20, first and 10. They run for negative three, a fantastic Tony Fields tackle, makes it second and 13, an incompletion to Mike Evans again. Now you're looking at third and 13, and here's an even better play on third and 13. You get a seven-yard sack from Brady. So Tampa's punting with the ball down at their 10. Cleveland gets this ball back with 2-10 left. They get it back in plus 50 territory down at the 46, and we all know what happens from there. They pick up a first down on a 28-yard Nick Chubb run. Shotgun run, pin pull continues to be the Browns' best run in the midst of a struggling period of run game. They get it down third, second and nine, third and nine, and man, on fourth and ten after that, that the Browns had a perfect, and even Kevin Stefanski talked about this a little bit in the postgame where they, he said we had a, a screen call that we thought we could catch him. Levante David sniffs it out just like last week when Matt Milano from the Buffalo sniffed out a screen and man and it was like man if you can just get that linebacker blocked it's a huge play he said they wanted to come back to David there's a fun quote in the write-up of this fourth and 10 touchdown catch where Jacoby talks about how during the week in the prep for the game he didn't like this play they this is a, a little peek behind the window of how you put together a game plan quarterback room entirety AVP all of the guys involved with the quarterbacks will go over game plan. Here's the plays we like in uh, third and long. Here's the plays we like coming out, first and tens. Here's the plays we like in the red zone. He didn't initially like this play, but he wanted to come back to it because he thought it was a good quarters beater or red two beater down at the end zone. And really he said, what I love is that we call plays based on players, right? Not always plays because we're trying to get players in the right position to make plays. And they put David in a good spot. They get a one-on-one on a vertical seam shot. They did a great job of having a cover two beater on the right side and an a, and a open middle field, open quarters uh, beater on the left side with two vertical routes. And, and David just makes a heroic catch. Obviously, that takes you into overtime after the Browns are fortunate enough not to let the 26-yard Brady to Julio Jones throw up the left side. And I swear it looked like Denzel Ward had a perfect beat on that thing and just missed it. But then in overtime... You know, Tampa gets it all the way out. They run a they run a long run out here to third and fourteen at the forty three yard line. The Browns do a great job of getting a stop. Obviously aided because Brady made a heroic little flip to White, his running back, breaking out of a sack. But there was an illegal use of hands. Finally, something got called against Miles because he'd just been getting held all day. They get a punt. Browns get it back. They actually don't do much because they're pinned deep in their own territory following a holding call. But they put themselves in a position to punt. Tampa doesn't do anything with it again, and then Cleveland makes a heroic final drive. Right after the two-minute warning, you get the 46-yard rail route throw off the Chip Kelly mesh, which is up at the OBR film breakdown uh, of that play, is up at the OBR. You can you can get all the intricate X and O's details of that play, the heroic play from Amari, the fantastic play 
obviously from Njoku too. That's all available. That's a wrap for today. We will come back tomorrow with your comprehensive breakdown. I appreciate you being here. We'll get more granular tomorrow. Everything you need is up at the OBR for you to read. Stop by the website. Thanks for your support, guys. Have a great Victory Monday. Check back with me tomorrow for more details. Go Browns.